Welcome to episode two in that year 11 human bio thing. Now in this episode, I will be looking at investigations, but I won't be spending too much time on this because if you listen to episode one of that human bio thing, you will probably find most of the things that you need to know about investigations. Now, when we do uh, experiments, what we do is we carry out observations, and in those observations, we identify information that we gather, and this leads us to formulate a question that we want to investigate. And usually, that question will result in what we call a hypothesis, a possible explanation or solution to a problem, and then we will design experiments to test that hypothesis. Now before we do that, we should really find out what has been done before. So it may be that you carry out what we call a literature review. This literature review may involve reviewing a few books to identify some scientific information or looking at scientific journals. And these days we'd probably look at the internet and see what's on the internet to find out what experiments have been done. Then we'd carry out further preliminary work. This preliminary means it's before the actual investigation to identify the parameters of our experiment. And by doing that, we can work out what we're going to do in the actual investigation. So there's no need to do repetition at this point in order to improve the uh, reliability of the experiment because you're really just trying to identify what variables need to be kept the same. Variables are the factors that can change. And so we look and find out what factors do we need to, or variables do we need to keep the same to make it a fair test and what will be the one factor that we're going to investigate. So you keep all the other variables the same, called control variables, changing only the one you are testing. And our, uh, then we, our hypothesis should link the independent variable, I independent, I control it, independent, it's the one that you control, and the dependent variable is the one that you measure. Now, one of the common mistakes that I see students making is that they'll look at averages and say that averages are a, the dependent variable. No, they're not. Um, the, you measure it and then you can work out the averages, which is actually analysis. So that's really the key things in terms of the first part of the investigation. And so we've identified control variables. Now, scientists want to avoid bias and error, and so objectivity is very important uh, for scientists to ensure that they don't allow their own thoughts, sorry about the noise in the background, they don't allow their own thoughts to basically bias the experiment. And we all have bias that we're uh, some, not usually aware of. And so what we sometimes have to do is we actually have to carry out experiments where uh, if we were dealing with people, we might carry out what we call a blind experiment or we carry out a double blind that neither the investigator nor those being investigated on actually know um, or don't know the details of the experiment so that they don't basically bring their um, bias to the experiment being conducted. So we need to ensure that our experiments are valid. Valid validity is testing what the experiment aims to test. And in an experiment, during our preliminary work, we may have identified some uncontrolled variables. These are variables that we can't actually control fully, and we look to minimise the impact of these variables as much as possible. And uh, so we try and design an experiment which limits their impact. So what is the other terms? So the other terms that get confused. Reliability is the extent to which an experiment gives the same result each time. Reliability is important in terms of consistency of results. And there are two ways to get reliability. One is repetition. This means doing the same thing again or many times. And then replication. This is where somebody else does the same experiment. Or this is where you increase your sample size and everybody conducts 
the same experiment. The sample size, if you have um, 20 people, let's say, and you've got 10 in one group and 10 in the other, then that's 10 in your experimental group and 10 in your control group, which you're going to compare the results against, then the actual sample size is 10. Verification is the process is, uh, by which make, you make sure that there have been no errors in the design of the experiment or collection of data and no bias in the interpretation of the results. And so once you've got all this information together, you're ready to carry out your experiment. Now, the measurements are very important, and so when we carry out our measurements, we have to do it to the degree of precision that the equipment allows, or we justify, that's a key word, justify our strategy by ensuring that we do it to the degree of detail and it's kept the same for the whole experiment. So precision is the degree of detail the experiment allows. And so it might be that you decide that you're going to measure in seconds, and I would always suggest seconds over minutes, because when you graph seconds, it's easier to graph than it is to graph minutes. And so that would be a suggestion. You might not want to use tenths of seconds or hundredths of seconds uh, because the degree of precision that is required for the results may not require it to that degree. Now that's fine as long as you justify that in your plan. Now the other thing that you all need to do is ensure that your experiment is safely set up and it's also ethically sound. And so we have some rules about ethics which I'll come on to a bit later on. What sort of measurements will you make? Well, once you've measured it, you may need to, to work out the percentage change. And so we, to calculate percentage change, you subtract the old value from the new value, then divide that figure by the old value and multiply it by 100. And that's really important in terms of percentage change. So even in uh, recent tests and exams that I've conducted, I noticed that students will give you the percentage increase, but not the percentage change. And so percentage change, please learn this, it's the uh, new value minus the old value and divided by the the old value times by 100 and then you should get the result that you want. And there are a number of other measurements that are recorded in your um, textbook but I would suggest that these are the ones that are most important at this point. Now when an experiment is conducted it should be peer-reviewed and the purpose of peer-reviewed in terms of publication certainly is that somebody else can carry out the experiment that you conducted and if they produce the same results, then it authenticates the work that you've done. And so uh, this is important as well in terms of avoiding bias and errors. You may not have seen some of the experimental errors in your um, experiment. So what is the scientific method? Well, the scientific method is the method which is used, or the pattern which is used, to carry out a scientific investigation. So first of all, you recognise a question and then you collect data or information related to the problem that you've identified and you make a hypothesis. Now a hypothesis or a good hypothesis is usually a definite statement. It's short and it always relates the independent variable to the dependent variable. One thing I didn't say before is that when you do the independent variable and dependent variable you should always where possible put units. And so once you've identified your hypothesis, you need to basically collect data from the experiment to see whether you support the hypothesis or disprove the hypothesis. And then you make a conclusion. And then when we carry out an evaluation, what we do in the evaluation is we really look to see how effective that experiment was. So for example, in the experiment, there may be some experimental errors. And random errors are unpredictable errors that can occur in all experiments. 
and this is uh, usually what results in an outlier and that outlier can be identified and removed from the data. Now sometimes when you have a large sample size you actually don't remove those that are outliers because what we're looking there, what we see in um, there's a large sample size is biological variation and sources of error and so what happens with a large sample size is we reduce the impact of biological variation for example tall people short people heavier people lighter people and or male and female depending on what the biological variation is and we reduce the impact of um, experiment sorry of um, sources of error and so as a result of that we can leave those data in now sometimes that's not possible and so we do remove that outlier because it's obviously not consistent with the rest of the data and usually that's um, two standard deviations away from the mean. System error, systematic errors are those which are as a result of the experimental design and so you always get the same error occurring and that means that the design of the experiment needs to be looked at. So when we carry out an evaluation we say well do the results show what we expect, sorry we, we identify in an evaluation procedural um, problems. So first of all, is the experiment valid? Yes, it was fair by keeping everything the same. It was reliable because we repeated the experiment. It was precise because we measured to the same degree of precision each time and it answered the question we were looking at. Okay, were there any sources of error? Yes, there were sources of error. No, there were no sources of error in the data I collected. What could cause these errors? Well, there could be some systematic errors or there could be some um, random errors that occur and so by identifying those we can actually remove them if necessary and we can look at the causes of that and we can suggest whether these errors actually affect the overall um, conclusion that we want to draw. Sometimes it's minimal so it doesn't actually have any effect. We could almost sometimes almost put them into a hierarchical um, order of errors and the impact if we wanted to. Then we say, okay, how can we improve the experiment? And when we say that, we mean, how can we improve the procedure? So the procedure can always be improved by repeating it or replication if, that's, if you can't repeat it because that's one of the variables you're looking at. And so that's always an improvement, but there's always several things that can be improved with the procedure, which will help improve the data that's being collected. And then further work is not the same as improvements. Further work is saying, okay, using this same equipment, how could you take this experiment further? Now, earlier I mentioned, there's a couple of things that I mentioned, and the first thing is that once you've collected your data, you need to analyze it. So the easiest way to analyze data, now this is processing, this is uh, actually analysis, so once you've collected your raw data, if you put totals and averages, you are now analyzing it, and you should always put a title onto your table. All tables and all graphs, if you look in textbooks, will always have a title. And it should say something like, a table to show whatever the independent variable is, versus the dependent variable, or a graph to show whatever the independent variable is versus the dependent variable. And when you draw graphs, always ensure that you use as much of the graph paper as possible. From waste's point of view, you have to ensure that the graph uh, uses up at least more than half of the graph paper that's made available to you. You should always use a suitable scale. If necessary, you want a key if there's more than one piece of data being plotted. If the data is continuous, it's going to be a line graph. If it's discontinuous or discrete data, you'll be forming a column graph. Uh, you should always ensure that you've got units on both axes and that you start at zero. Uh, I see a lot of graphs where they do the double lines and I haven't got time to go into the detail about that, but um, just to say that you need to start at zero and you need to keep the, the uh, gap between each of the blocks in your, the scale needs to be the same, basically. 
I also mentioned, so once you've done that and you've drawn your graph and uh, you can analyse the data, so what does the results show? So you state simply what they show. Is there a trend there? Do they, do the, as you increase the temperature, the number of bubbles given off increases up to, let's say, 40 degrees, and then it decreases. This might be an enzyme-controlled reaction, for example. And then you would need to explain it scientifically. Now, in the example I've just given there, what you would be saying is that the optimum temperature is 45 degrees. The rate of reaction is limited at the early stages, so there's less collisions. So we're giving scientific explanations, less collisions between the enzyme and the substrate. Therefore, the number of bubbles produces less. However, after 45 degrees in the example I'm giving, the number of bubbles decreases because the rate of reaction decreases. And the rate of reaction decreases because the enzyme denatures and therefore the um, the substrate doesn't fit into the active site and so it decreases. Now, normally a three mark, if you have three marks for a conclusion, this is what you need to state. First of all, uh, what does, does it support or disprove? Not, not prove, it never proves. This isn't maths. Maths, you can have proving, but in science you just say it supports the hypothesis or disproves the hypothesis. Then you restate what the hypothesis is and then you use data and that data is pro probably going to be in a table that's been presented to you. So always ensure that you refer to some data. One thing I didn't mention, but I did mention earlier, are ethical issues. And all experiments should be set up ethically. So first of all, uh, there should be voluntary participation. People should not be pressured into taking part in the research. Informed consent. The participants are fully informed about the objectives of the research. Risk of harm is what your textbook says, but what you actually are talking about is reduced risk of harm. You're not saying, oh, well, there's some harm involved in this experiment. You're talking about how do you reduce the risk of harm. You also then, confidentiality, which is not the same as anonymity, Confidentiality is that you, you don't reveal the identity of the participants, whereas anonymity is that um, you don't actually know who the participants in the study are. Now, most of the investigations that you would conduct, you'd actually know who the participants are. So what is a placebo? Well, a placebo is, has all the same ingredients apart from the one being investigated. And so what we can do with, or your textbook would just call it, a placebo is an inactive substance. Um, that and I think you have to be careful of just saying it looks like the real medication because it doesn't, it's not just about what it looks like. It might be an injection, for example. But basically, uh, the purpose of this is though that when you conduct an experiment, the subjects do not know that they are receiving the placebo or the treatment. So any difference, hear this, any difference between the actual results and the placebo can be identified as caused by the um, thing under investigation, the variable under investigation. Now, as I said before, and I may have said it or not, a double-blind experiment is where neither the researcher nor the subjects know who's receiving the treatment. And so in that case, when you've got a double-blind experiment, you reduce bias even more because there might be someone that I really like and say, right, I'm going to make sure that they don't get this drug because it's really bad for them. Um, and there's someone I don't like, um, so I say, well, they will get the drug. And I might accidentally or unconsciously bias my experiment in that way. So a double-blind experiment is much better because neither the experimenter or the researcher nor the subjects actually know who's receiving the actual um, treatment and who's receiving the placebo and then you can compare the results. So uh, be, a placebo has all the same ingredients apart from the one being tested and any difference is as a result of the um, thing you're investigating. Okay, so um, that is the end of this particular podcast.